Sup, you absolutely beautiful bastards. Welcome back to the Philip DeFranco Show. And before we jump into it, I just got to say something. It's always a surprise to me that I get to say this each time. Thank you to everyone that is making this current beautiful bastard drop on pace to be our biggest ever. Everyone's been busting ass to make sure we could do this on time at the quality that we want. And it's uh, it's it's always a pleasant surprise. And that's the best thing that I can say about constantly doubting myself even after all these years. Well, I try and send you know video messages to as many people as I can after they purchase. I just want to put, send out a general thank you. And then also secondarily, a reminder to all other beautiful bastards, you only got a few days left if you want to snag some of the awesome over at beautifulbastard.com. Uh, we put it out there, you get it. The, the thing ends and then it's gone forever. Yeah, with that said, welcome back to the Philip DeFranco Show. Hit that like button to help spread some common sense news coverage here on the YouTubes and let's just jump into it. You know, first up today that we're starting way heavier than we normally do, we, we need to talk about the horrific tragedy that happened over the weekend in Waukesha, Wisconsin, because we know a lot more now. With police announcing at a press conference yesterday that a man suspected of killing at least five and injuring another 48 after driving his car into a Christmas parade on Sunday faces five counts of homicide. You had dance groups, high school bands, politicians, and other members of the Milwaukee suburb marching in the 58th annual Christmas parade, which was a, a big happy deal because it had to be put on hold last year because of the pandemic. And it 4.40 p.m., just 40 minutes after the parade started, a red SUV plowed through barricades, sped down the parade route, and barreled into dozens. With Waukesha Police Chief Dan Thompson confirming in that press conference the number of people hospitalized for injuries, previously listed at 40, had risen to 48, including two children in critical condition. Though notably, that differs from an earlier statement from Children's Hospital of Wisconsin, who said six children of the 18 hospitalized there were in critical condition. Thompson also named the victims who died, whose ages ranged from 52 to 81, and identified the suspect as a 39-year-old Milwaukee man who had been involved in a domestic disturbance involving a knife just minutes prior. Thompson going on to say that police weren't able to respond to that initial call about the disturbance because they had to respond to the parade so soon. Also stressing that there was not a police pursuit before the man plowed through the crowd. But then also adding that he was confident the man acted alone and that there was no evidence that this is a terrorist incident. But then also declining to say whether or not a motive was known. And saying that in addition to the five intentional homicide charges the police are recommending, more charges may come as the investigation continues. And while all of that was pretty much the main takeaways from that presser after the suspect's name was released, we also saw a ton of outlets digging into his past and finding a lengthy, lengthy criminal record dating back to 1999, with the New York Times reporting that the record showed the suspect, quote, have been charged with or convicted on an array of charges over the past 22 years, including battery, domestic violence, cocaine possession, and resisting arrest in several jurisdictions in Wisconsin. He's also served at least two jail sentences and spent years on probation and in-court mandated work release and anger management programs. And the thing that's gonna be really, really looked at here beyond all of that is that most recently, just six days before he drove through this parade, he was freed on $1,000 bail after being accused of trying to run over his girlfriend with that same SUV. With the police report seen by several outlets reportedly saying that this man in question was arrested on November 2nd after the mother of his child accused him of punching her in the face, then following her into a parking lot of a gas station with his SUV, and then using that to run her over. With officers even writing that they observed tire tracks on her left pants leg, as well as swelling on her lip and dried blood on her face, noting that she was taken to the hospital after the incident. And so the police got him. Prosecutors then charged him with obstructing an officer second degree recklessly endangering safety with domestic abuse assessments, disorderly conduct with domestic abuse assessments, and misdemeanor battery with domestic abuse assessments. And as if that wasn't enough, he was also reportedly charged with bail jumping because he was already out on bail related to an incident in July of 2020, where he was charged with two counts of second degree reckless endangerment of safety and one count of possession of a firearm by a felon. And somehow with 
all of that. He was then only initially facing a $10,000 bail with prosecutors then agreeing to release him on $1,000 bail. And that last part was also confirmed in a statement yesterday by the Milwaukee County District Attorney's Office, which said that it should not have recommended such a low bail and announced that it was launching an internal review into the matter. With the office describing the bail recommendation, and I, I would think it's kind of the, the PG version of what we're all thinking, as inappropriately low in light of the nature of recent charges and the pending charges. And adding that it was not consistent with the office policy toward matters involving violent crime or risk assessment of the defendant. And for me personally, you know, one, the, the guy that is responsible for this, I, I believe that he belongs in the ground. He just takes a special kind of monster to inflict this level of carnage. And so I think you just, you, you, you get rid of that. And two, if there's any justice whatsoever, after this review, some skulls get cracked, because what the fuck? Not only is this yet another example of the justice system not taking instances of violence against women seriously, but you didn't keep the general public safe. For how many years have people in the justice system had like such a hard on for putting people in jail for non-violent offenses that when you get an actual violent criminal, you let them out on, on a thousand dollar bail? Like what the fuck is wrong with your brain? And understand, none of that takes away what should come to the monster responsible for this attack, but this is gross negligence. And if the prosecutor in that situation has any soul whatsoever, they have to feel like there's some blood on their hands. Hey, with all of that said, this is the Philip DeFranco Show. That is the story as we understand it now, then my opinion. And of course, whether you agree or you disagree with me, I'd love to know your thoughts here. Are you, whether you agree with my feelings or you think I'm going too far regarding some of the authorities here uh, or and just really any general thoughts. And then, uh, because I need to take a break from stories that make me rage for a second, let's talk about entertainment news, lighter news, specifically about a little known entertainment artist by the name of Adele. Maybe you've heard of her. She just released her new album, 30, and it is a massive, massive success. In just three days, it became the top selling album of 2021, right between November 19th and the 21st. It sold over half a million copies. Beating out Taylor Swift's Evermore, which up until now is the best selling album of the year with 462,000 copies sold. Also, that's not the only reason Adele was in the news. Apparently she has massive sway. With reports coming out that she apparently requested that Spotify remove the default shuffle settings for albums and instead have them play in track list order. With the company apparently listening and changing the feature for her. But yeah, for now, the next big thing is to see where 30 will fall on the billboard charts because uh, of course album sales are only part of the equation now, especially because there are always questions of like, who's actually buying albums? How many of those sales are connected to like merch sales? And it really feels like more and more the most important numbers as far as what's happening is who is streaming. And so with Billboard come next week, we'll see if she unseats Taylor Swift or not there as well, of course, with her re-release of Red, which actually Red, Taylor's version, went number one on the Billboard album charts, marking her 10th album to do so, which notably puts her in the rare air category, making her just the second woman with 10 or more number ones, right behind Barbara Streisand. But yeah, I guess the main point is whether you're an Adele stan, you're a Swifty, maybe you're both Great time to be a sad autumn girl. And then let's talk about famed director, producer Ridley Scott in the news. Maybe you've seen some of the headlines like, Ridley Scott pins his movie The Last Duel bombing on apathetic millennials. With him specifically on Mark Maron's WTF podcast saying, I think what it boils down to where we've got today is the audiences who are brought up on these cell phones, the millennium, do not want to ever be taught anything except unless it's, you're told it on the cell phone. Right. There's some, this is a broad stroke, but I think we're, we're dealing with it right now with Facebook, right? Right. There's a misdirection, a miss has happened, uh, where it's given the wrong kind of confidence to this latest generation, I think. And for those unaware, The Last Duel Worldwide only brought in $27 million, even though it had a budget of $100 million. And upon seeing these headlines or hearing these words on the podcast, a lot of people were like, that's not why we didn't watch it. With tons of people on social media sharing their various reasons, some more serious than others. And as far as my opinion on this, I, I wanna preface this by saying, one, I think Ridley Scott is amazing. His work 
speaks for itself. But I think it's a very ignorant and boomer-esque move to just blame a whole generation and cell phones. Like in the same podcast, you say that you think that Disney did a fantastic job promoting this movie. It was news to me with this story and coverage today that the movie even came out October 15th, which very much feels like a marketing fail. Also too, uh, based off of what I remember of seeing of the trailer, I didn't excite me. But that also, once again, this could be very much me after the last two shitty years, I found myself like leaning more towards comedies and or turn off my brain, big Marvel or action movie, which I know you're not a fan of superhero movies. I mean, like just on paper, I didn't want to watch a movie that it seemed like two hours of two guys saying, hey, we're going to fight to see if this woman's rape claim is real. Like just for me, that's not the kind of entertainment I need is seasonal depression slowly getting its grips in. And three, rather than you just kind of broadly going after millennials, uh, to those watching, uh, use the comments section down below to explain to, to Mr. Ridley why you did not watch The Last Duel. But from that, I want to take a second to thank the fantastic sponsor of today's show, Ridge. You know, I actually had a Ridge wallet before they ever became a sponsor. I love that Ridge is a minimalist front pocket wallet that's slim, RFID blocking, and comes with a lifetime guarantee. Because let's face it, most men's wallets suck. They're just so bulky. Like, it's just not practical. You're throwing all this in there. It's so big. You put it in your back pocket. You're sitting all weird. I guess what I'm saying is your booty deserves better. It's just not practical for modern men and modern women. Ridge helps you carry less, but it gives you everything that you need. It comes in titanium, carbon fiber, and aluminum. And on top of that, there are tons of different styles and colors to choose from, making it the perfect gift for anyone in your life. And it's awesome sleek design has to be what I love most. It has two metal plates bound together by a durable elastic band, so it's easy to get what you want in, get what you want out. So what are you waiting for? Just head on over to ridge.com slash defranco in. Make sure you use code defranco to get 15% off site-wide today. Then we should definitely talk about how today an attorney for Brian Laundry's family confirmed that Laundry died by suicide, with a forensic anthropologist determining that his cause of death was a self inflicted gunshot wound to the head. As you probably remember, there was that manhunt for Brian. He was ultimately discovered at a nature reserve near the Laundry family home. With the initial autopsy to try and determine the cause of his death coming back inconclusive, which is why his remains were sent to a forensic anthropologist. With his news seeming to provide answers, but also seeming to raise questions. With people like YouTube's own Emily D. Baker writing, I am left wondering if a gun was recovered anywhere near where remains were found and what has been determined from the notebook. So as of recording this, this is still breaking. It'll be very interesting to see if we get more information from the authorities. Of course, a lot of the public very skeptical of this source. This is, you might remember during the Gabby Petito, Brian Laundry situation, there were a lot of people looking at the parents. People asking, what did they know? Did they help him? But for now, the only thing we've heard from them is that they're, quote, still mourning the loss of their son and are hopeful that these findings bring closure to both families. However, as far as Gabby Petito's family goes, you had an attorney for them telling reporters that the family, quote, had been aware of the circumstances surrounding the suicide of the sole suspect in Gabby's murder. Also, adding that the family isn't actually going to make any real comments right now at the request of law enforcement agencies and that, quote, the family was also asked to wait for the United States Attorney's Office to make a determination on whether any additional individuals will be charged. When that determination is made, we will have a statement. Which, to my ears, sounds like it's in reference to the parents, but also that's what we know, and we have to wait to see what's going to happen from here. But of course, with this story, especially because we've sporadically covered it over the past few months, I would love to know your thoughts here on these updates. And then, you know, we opened today's show talking about negligence, and now we're closing the show talking about negligence. And that because the families of more than a dozen victims of the 2018 Parkland school shooting reached a settlement with the Justice Department yesterday in their lawsuit over the FBI's failure to properly respond to tips that the gunman might open fire at a school. In that suit, families accused the FBI of negligence, citing two specific tips on which they failed to act. The first, coming five months 
months before the shooting when a bail bondsman in Mississippi alerted the FBI to a YouTube comment posted by a user going by the same name as the would-be shooter, reading, quote, I'm going to be a professional school shooter. The FBI saying that it interviewed the bondsman and was unable to determine who posted the comment at the time, but now believes it was the shooter. But then also the second tip that came in was January of 2018, just five weeks before the shooting. There, a woman who claimed to be a family friend called the FBI's tip line to alert the agency to a number of alarming warnings, telling the agency that the then 19-year-old had been posting photos of mutilated animals in social media and that his mother had recently died, both things that experts say are warning signs or triggers for possible shooters. The woman also telling the FBI that he had been posting on Instagram about amassing guns and ammunition, saying, I know he's going to explode, and even expressing concerns that he was, quote, going to slip into a school and start shooting the place up. But that information never got passed along to the FBI's field office. And just two days after the mass shooting, the agency acknowledged that it didn't follow its own rules for investigating tips related to the shooter, which is a bad move if, one, you want to try and keep people alive, and or two, you don't want to get sued. But yeah, as for the details of this settlement, the DOJ filing yesterday did not disclose a specific amount, but officials close to the matter have said that the total is around $130 million. And notably here, it, this is not like an outlier situation. In fact, this settlement comes just one month after the Justice Department settled a similar lawsuit where it agreed to pay $88 million to the families of people killed in a 2015 shooting at a historic black church in Charleston. With that shooting taking place after the FBI failed to conduct a proper gun purchase background check for the shooter. And I will say I'm, I'm a little bit at a loss of how to end this story because I don't I don't know what the main takeaway is. Like I hope that the, the money provided to the families here, it can provide them something, but it's obviously never gonna give them back their loved ones. As far as on the other side, right, does paying a quarter of a billion dollars out through these two incidents make the FBI more eager to actually do their job? Like at the end of the day, that payout is tax dollar money. Like we don't get to experience that. I don't get to be negligent. Something horrible happens. People get hurt, people die, and someone else foots the bill. And so it ultimately feels like we're ending this story with this somewhat helpless feeling of the, the people that have been put in charge to protect us aren't. I don't know, it's all just disappointing and exhausting, and yeah, I guess that's where this is gonna end both uh, the story and actually today's show. Of course, whether it be this last one, the first story, anything in between, I'd love to know your thoughts in those comments down below. Also, remember, you only got a few days left if you wanna get in on that Christmas drop and then it's gone forever. But with that said, of course, as always, my name's Philip DeFranco, you've just been filled in, I love yo faces, and I'll see you uh, possibly tomorrow.